This is Gareth Southgate, and this is the Three Lions Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Three Lions Podcast. My name is Russell Osborne and this is an independent England football supporters podcast. I hope you're well. Well, we've done it once again. Qualified for the European Championships, this time Euro 2024 in Germany. As big an opportunity as they come. It's one we really need to grasp with both hands. In a moment, I'll be joined by Aidan Smith from both tacticallyspeaking.co.uk and threelions.net. First though, Coming your way very soon are a couple more episodes. I will be previewing the upcoming Lionesses doubleheader against Belgium in the Nations League. Uh, and I've also been working on an episode that looked at a turbulent time in England's history 20 years ago. Stay subscribed and you'll not miss them. OK, on to Australia. If you listen to the preview episode, you would know that we've not won a game when we played on Friday the 13th, uh, but we put that to bed just with a, a 1-0 win uh, with the predicted second string side. And it's now that I'd like to bring in Aidan Smith. Hello, Aidan. Hello, hello. Good to be back. Look, good to have you back. You keeping well? Yeah, very well, thank you. Loved your stat, by the way, about Friday the 13th. I didn't know about that one. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's the third game that we played on Friday the 13th. Uh, we'd lost the two previous ones. Oh, horror. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, good to put that one to bed. Um, but, yeah, Australia, um, it was always a, a funny old fixture um, against a team that, yeah, we, we don't play often, um, but it's it was always going to be seen as a an opportunity to to blood some new players and and that's pretty much what what Gareth did um just running through the the lineup uh, Sam Johnston Trent Alexander Armstrong Fikai Tomori Lewis Dunk Levi Colwell made his debut Jordan Henderson James Madison Connor Gallagher Jared Bowen Ollie Watkins returned uh, and Jack Grealish started as well um no Harry Kane that was the the first game he'd been left out of since the starting lineup against Andorra in October 2021. Um, but go on, yeah, I take it. Uh, did you watch it on the telly? Yes, yeah, I did. Yeah. How did it come across? Because I've got to be honest, I sat there in the stand and I thought this is hard work. This game, it's it's not grabbing me. Oh, you were you were there in the stadium again? Were you? Yes, yeah. So, yeah, no, I, I don't know. I think it, it was one of those rare England games, I've got to say, that where I uh, I did, I did fo- find my mind slipping a little bit and just sort of losing focus at various points. Um, that classic bit, you know, at the beginning of the second half where it all goes a bit silent and the paper aeroplanes come out and the Mexican wave comes out and uh, 
yeah, yeah, you can you can sit, you can still feel it back home. Um, just as we were waiting for that first goal to come in, but but as soon as it happens, and we rem- remember what it's like to score a goal, and then you know, I think I think we closed the game out well. Um, but I was just saying to you before we started recording that um, you know, we I think eight of the eleven that started the game had fewer than ten caps. Um, it's what everyone calls for every game, but as soon as it happens, no one's happy and they want you know, the, the new players to be sort of drip-fed into the starting lineup bit by bit throughout the year. There's a, a fine line, isn't there? As you say, eight players there with, with 10 or less caps. So we all want it, but it's just it's just too many, really. And I know, I know obviously, we had the Italy game coming up that Gareth was obviously um, sort of holding the players back for, because that was the, the more important one. Um, but this was a uh, an opportunity for the likes of Lewis Dunk again to to have a uh, an impact. Jared Bowen for his fifth cap. Um, Ollie Watkins um, to to make a, a stand for a, a future starting position. But I don't know. None of them really stamped their authority on it. I know Ollie Watkins scored, but that was he just slid in and 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 put Jack Grealish's cross in the net. Really, didn't he? Yeah, it's one of those ones, isn't it? You play play so many young players, and everyone says, "Oh, you know, well, they're the best of the best. They've got the quality. You know, they they should be able to be fine." You know, but people talk about partnerships, and it, it really is a thing. You know, you've got to. You, they've not had any time to sort of develop those partnerships and things like that. It's interesting you mentioned Lewis Dunk there. I was I was just going to make a point. I think if the last two months have shown me anything, watching England, the the four games that have happened over the last two months. I would say it's shown that we do have, I'd say, two or three standout centre-backs who, who will replace John Stones and Harry Maguire after a lot of, a lot, you know, a lot more games for England. And I, I emphasise a lot because I, I have this discussion with a lot of people and uh, everyone wants, you know, Maguire out, you know, specifically. But, um, you know, you look back through the history books, no one's won the Euros playing centre-backs with fewer than 15, 20 caps. Um, so whatever you say, you know, it, it does play a different, uh, does play, play a part in the, in the thinking of, of who do you select? But yeah, I think Mark Gehi specifically, but Lewis Duncan, Levi Colwell, I know Colwell is predominantly a left back at this moment in time, but play most of his football as a centre back. And I think those three, if they continue to play at club level are really, really good centre backs. And, you know, specifically Lewis Dunk, I've been very, very impressed in the last couple of months. I'm not sure, quite sure how old Lewis Dunk is. Um, I, is don't he, know. I don't know, 31, 32, something like that. So, I mean, even if he is, even if he's late 20s, that's still, I don't know, how far ahead do we look with him? His sort of age yeah, is I almost think, against people, him. People get very caught up with looking ahead that they forget to look at now. And it was the same with Ross Barkley, I remember. Do you remember when he came back into the fold in sort of 2018, 19 mm. sort of time? And everyone was oh, Ross Barkley's rubbish because they know that there's this guy called Mason Mount who's playing every week for Chelsea. But but Bar- Barkley was one of our best players at that moment in time. It's just that he wasn't a fashionable player. He wasn't, you know, he'd, he'd been and gone already. Uh, and people just wanted something a bit new um, mm. because the novelty of Barkley had worn off or whatever. And I, and I suppose a lot of people would be saying that about Lewis Dunk had, had Harry Maguire been playing very well in the last 18 months. But because he hasn't, everyone's calling for Lewis Dunk. I'm sure that as soon as he makes a mistake, people will say that he's passed it. But um, no, I, I'm very, very impressed. 
Yeah, fair comment. I get, I get where you're coming from there. One thing I, I should say is Australia played played really well, and they had they had some good opportunities. Um, and on a maybe a better night, they would have really tested. I mean, Sam Johnston made a couple of great saves, but they they put another couple just just wider the post or just over. Uh, if they get a striker that can get it on target, then they could have really given us a uh, a run for our money. And we may have seen a um, what's it, a two thousand and three scoreline that when we lost to them. Um, so yeah, full credit to to Australia. One thing we we do need to just really touch on is the uh, it was in in the news obviously and and Jordan Henderson um, when when the team was announced uh, in the stadium there there was the audible sort of jeers and boos for him and yeah and I, I just put it down to okay there's still people that aren't aren't happy with Jordan Henderson game went on. Um, and then I think it was on the the hour mark, Gareth made his four substitutions. Trippier came on for Henderson. And it was a real disappointing part of the night. I mean, obviously the game wasn't spectacular, but he it came across on the, the PA that Henderson was coming off. And there was this initial booze for him and then just almost a silence. There was yeah, very the whole little... time that he was running off, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It it wasn't it was very un England like. And I know Gareth's gone on record as saying we shouldn't boo our players, and, and quite rightly so. They're wearing the England shirt. They've they deserve to get there. But it was a it was such a strange moment. Um I, I think there's so many, so many different angles that can maybe come of this. Um but but let's not forget he's He's 79, 80 caps, I think, as he came on against Italy. Three goals, three important goals he's scored for England. He's a player that is part of England, has been for the past 10, 15 years. And I think he will be next year as well. He's still going to be there. Yeah, I mean, if I were to remove my own thoughts from from this, I would say, yeah, I get it. There is a reasonable defense for the booing you know Southgate has encouraged them to play politics and you know get involved in things far greater than football and I think that's fantastic but it's it's backfired with undeniable hypocrisy we can all you know fairly comfortably admit that and the only argument against it against the booing it seems to be the only one you know that a very small argument but but it happens to be the one that i agree with and it's you know it's illogical to boo your own player southgate can't grasp this concept that people are booing their own you know a player playing for their own team and i think you know I, there's an argument that that southgate is a little bit tone deaf there in reality it's going to happen but I can't lie. I, I agree with him in that it shouldn't be happening. It, it, it doesn't strike me, you know, whether or not you you like what he's done. He's playing for your team. I get it. I think you know that. I think the reason people boo tends to be because they want to distance themselves from the players that you know they wouldn't have picked if they were the manager. And it was it, you know it's the, been the same with Harry Maguire the whole way through. And that way, when it all goes wrong, you know they they aren't left heartbroken and vulnerable, but instead they're able to say, "Oh, I told you so." you know because they specifically pronounced their dissociation from from that player but but to me it still just seems totally a lot you know why that's not helping anyone why why would you boo him yeah i mean in just looking at 
the alternatives for Jordan Henderson, there, I mean, who have we got? Calvin Phillips was obviously saved for Tuesday. Um, Gareth obviously had him in mind. I'm not quite sure Connor Gallagher is in in the same same mould personally. Mason Mount has been injured, wasn't selected, and and James Ward Prowse doesn't really seem to fit Gareth's thinking really. So I mean, uh, Rashford, no, maybe not. I mean, who else are we gonna? What are the alternatives? I, I can only see Jordan Henderson being continuously picked for England up until next year. Yeah, you're so right. It, it seems so funny when I when I hear people say, "Oh, you know, I can't believe he's still getting played when he's when you know, getting picked when he's when he's playing his football in a in a really low league." But I mean, it's not as though as soon as he signed for the Saudi league, he dropped five <laughs> levels. You know, he's, yeah. he's still the same player that he was it's, last year. Yeah. You know, he's, he's still Jordan Henderson, who's yeah. very, very good at football and was Liverpool captain not four months, five months ago. Um, so I disagree with it from a footballing perspective. Yeah, and you're, you're absolutely right. James Ward-Prowse has been on fantastic form. But if we don't have that bank of evidence for him playing for West Ham, you know, for, for a really long time at a consistently high level... Yes, it's it's dangerous to bring him in because he's he's already got slightly pissed off with you know um, being picked, being not picked, mm. and being used as a sort of utility player during qualifiers and then never getting to a tournament. Um, so you, so you've got to sort of toe the line there. Calvin Phillips is a different kind of player, but equally he's played exceptionally well against Italy and against Scotland last month. Yeah. Um, and who was the other one you mentioned? Mason Mount. Mason yeah. Mount moment out of the equation but also not not even of the same mold at all and Connor Gallagher for me is one of the most hard working players I've seen in a long time but unfortunately it doesn't replace the fact that he I think is is a level below Jordan Henderson one one last point on the Henderson issue is and it's it's a bit a bit twisted this one you may think that Gareth's contract at this moment in time is up until the end of the Euros. Yeah. He's, I th- I think he will continue to select Jordan Henderson up until then, injuries permitting. If we if Gareth decides to walk away at the end of the Euros, hopefully with a trophy in hand, then he leaves the problem to someone else, doesn't he? Leaves the problem to the next England manager. So he, he doesn't really... He knows what he wants and he's just going to stick with it and and leave that problem to whoever the next incumbent is. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. If Southgate played a popularity contest whenever he picked a team, our squad would look incredibly <laughs> different. Um, Jordan Henderson, you know, thinking about the players that we've just mentioned, Jordan Henderson is incredibly likely to A, be in the squad next Euros, but 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 even sort of disregarding that, he'll be there in March, which almost guarantees your place in, in, in June. Yeah. Sort of injury permitting you know fitness permitting and all of that so so yeah I, I would totally agree with you I think Southgate will walk away after Euro 24 regardless of what happens and I think he's made his mind up on that already yeah. and I think Jordan Henderson's involvement we can all fairly confidently say will be quite that you know involvement yeah. well let's move on to the the more important 
game of the uh, the international window with the greatest of respect to Australia but it was Italy in the in the qualifying in group C it was the top of the table clash it was all round changes 11 changes um that Gareth brought in back came Pickford Walker Stones Maguire Trippier Rice Bellingham Phillips Foden Kane and Rashford how are your thoughts going into this well, for one of the first times in a long time, I guessed the exact 11 correctly. Did you now? Yeah, yeah. I, I just, having seen the wingers who started again, because for me, it was only ever going to be, oh, is it is it Foden, Rashford, Green? You know, who, who's going to be starting on that wing? Yeah. I, I did expect Calvin Phillips to start ahead of a different profile of player, like a Trent Alexander-Arnold in midfield or something like that. And I expected Trippier ahead of Levi Colwell. But yeah, having seen the wingers against Australia, it was it was very sort of static the way they played. They'd sort of receive the ball to feet instead of darting in behind, and then they'd turn back and play inside. And it was it wasn't particularly adventurous, specifically from Grealish. Um Rashford and Foden offer you something a little bit different. And I think actually on 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 either wing they sort of complement each other because they almost play in a total opposite way to each other. Um Foden's particularly good at coming short and working in tight spaces. Rashford's really good at getting in behind and he sort of covers the covers the ground on that on that touchline. Really, really impressed with the link up between Kane and Bellingham. Yes. I don't want to be one of these people who starts pinning all of our hopes on these two players next year. But um, I think w- with Bellingham specifically in that number 10 role, because he's doing that for his club um, and because it means that he can be that much more free. And, you know, if we've got two sitting midfielders, the link up between him and Kane, it, it it means that we're able to play a number 10 while still having, you know, enjoying the luxuries of Kane dropping deep, which uh, which helps our team out an awful lot. And for the penalty was was a perfect example of that. Kane sort of holding the ball up, Bellingham running straight through and collecting the ball on his way. And, and if he doesn't get fouled, it's a, it's a shot at least and probably a goal. Just, I mean, yeah, the penalties was, was how it came about, yeah. Bellingham passed into Kane, who, who sort of got the ball turned as, as Bellingham rushed past him. <sighs> Fed up, we're talking about VAR, but obviously you you watching it on the telly. What what was going on there? Because we're sitting in the stand, and it must have been a good two two and a half minutes of. It was clear it was a penalty, but what else were they chatting about? Well, yeah, it was baffling to me that it took so long. It said on the screen as I was watching it at home, penalty check. And I thought, well, that shouldn't be taking that long. If they'd been checking for a possible red card, then I would have understood it because I thought that he was the last, that Di Lorenzo was the last man and that he would have therefore been sent off if it was a penalty. Um, so if they'd have been checking that, fair enough, but you know, they were checking a penalty. I, I, yeah. Like you say, we, we probably uh, exhausted the VAR conversation yeah. too many times. Haven't we? Everyone has, but um yeah, I mean, took a while, but thank goodness it was given. Yeah, the Kane scored his 60th goal to to equalise. This was after Italy scored from pretty much their their first opportunity. Um, but throughout the the first half, I was chatting with a, a guy next to me who was talking about Rashford, and there was a couple of times throughout the game, like in the first half. So we we were at the opposite end to where the penalty was was scored, and we're seeing Rashford take the ball and and we're just thinking this is still short of his confidence, be it 
the, the Manchester United issue or, or what, I don't know. But there just seem to be little moments where you think Rashford of two, three years ago wouldn't have had that moment's hesitation that he appeared to have a couple of times. Um, and it, it happened a couple of times last night until he scored. And then it was we both turned to each other and said, that's the Rashford that we want to see. Um, but just just going back to something that you said earlier with Foden dropping deep, it was Foden that passed the ball to Bellingham, who exceptionally took it through the field and passed it to Rashford for him to to smash home. But just more of that that Rashford feel um, that he scored that goal in last night. Well, perfect uh, perfect example is as soon as he scored the goal, I think within two or three minutes, he's in. An, pretty much identical position, taking another shot from a fair distance out. I mean, it it went just wide, I think. But um, yeah, I'm, he's certainly a player who knows what he can do and only once he's done it and done it well, will he feel that he can go and keep producing the same level, you know, high level shots or crosses or whatever, it, you know, taking players on. Um, yeah, I, th- I think Rashford's certainly been a, a sort of, well, he's been a player who fluctuates in form an awful lot, yeah. and it's largely down to confidence. Those times when we used to see Rashford right out on the touchline, 1v1 against a defender, and he's just standing still waiting for them to move. I mean, they're not going to move, mate. You know, just, just do something. You know? <laughs> but, um, yeah, when Rashford gets it with a bit of room to run in or with the confidence to, that he can take someone on, because he can, yes. pretty much anyone in the world, Um yeah, that's 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 when Rashford's at his best and most dangerous, I think. Yeah, no, it was, it was great to see. He had a real real smile on his face, uh, scoring there. And then with with about fifteen minutes to go, Harry Kane gets his sixty first England goal. Strength that he uh, that he possesses and and speed still at his age that he could he could go through. And and where I was standing, um, I say standing because I was in the safe standing area at Wembley last night. It was almost right down my throat. To uh, to see him take that shot and the strength he had um, to knock it past Donnarumma, uh, who incidentally he, he had a lot to moan about last night, Donnarumma, um, which was nice to see. Um, but yeah, Kane Kane finishes it off three one to England, and yes, we're we're going to Germany next year. Yeah, brilliant. I mean, looking at the fixtures we've got next month, Macedonia and Malta, I was never in any doubt that we were going to be going to the tournament, especially after those first two qualifiers when we beat Italy away and beat Ukraine at home, I thought, right, well, that's it straight away. Yeah. Because, uh, I, I, you know, I trusted that Gareth Southgate wouldn't have that mindset. And so that would allow me to get excited. But um, yeah, I think the most important thing personally was was just watching us beat a big team again. And I, w- I know it's a bit greedy, but I was really after more than one goal. And that's exactly what we got. First half was pretty even. It was two fantastic teams uh, at their best, certainly in Italy's case. But um, yeah, I think we really, we really wiped the floor with them in 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 that sort of middle period of the second half. I think yeah, fantastic. Three one, two goal victory. Yeah, what more could you ask for? It was it was good good all round performance. And I don't think there was a player who had a uh, an off night. I know we've often spoken about Harry Maguire, um, but. He's, he's still there, and I don't think he put a foot wrong last night. 
No, and, and 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 I don't see why the attention should be on him. I mean, he's he's a defender just like John Stones is, and he's a, a player just like everyone else on the pitch. And uh, yeah, great performance. Mark Gehi was brilliant when he came on. Um, yeah, ab- absolutely fantastic. And I've got to say, in in a qualifying group that I would say is definitely the hardest of any in Europe. I mean, we we're in a five team group, which is already harder because you don't have one of the minnows. But uh, four of the five were at the last Euros two years ago, so. Uh, and we've beaten one of them seven nil uh, a couple of months ago. So, yeah, we've 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 really dominated uh, what could have been a, a very difficult group, uh, and it could have gone very differently. Well, fortunately, it has gone our way, which ultimately has has seen us qualify for for Germany next year. We've got cast our minds just ahead. I mean, who who are going to be our our main opponents for that, I'm guessing we're, we're going to be looking at France, Portugal. I don't know if Spain are a, the team they once were, um, but who else could could we be looking at? Germany, obviously, as hosts, um, but can we do it? <laughs> <laughs> One word or 500. Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely, we can do it. And I think, uh, I think I was, I was. After the after Euro 21, I was very confident going into Qatar. And after Qatar, I'm very, very confident going into the uh, the Euros next year. Um, Portugal have had a fantastic qualifying campaign. Uh, they're just wiping the floor with every team they play. Yeah, albeit uh, p- perhaps an easier group, but you've still got to beat the teams in front of you, and they, they are doing. Um, France, ever the competitor, I think they're they're going to be knocking on the door for the next 10, 12 years, just like we are. <laughs> Spain not only confuse me, but frustrate me because I always feel like Spain will draw five games until they need to win and then they'll win 5-0. Um, so you never know. I mean, Spain could be could be one of those teams that, one of those lucky teams that comes through third in their group in Euro 21 and still gets the semi-final final. So <laughs> I never know what they're going to do. Um, Germany remains to be seen, new manager. Yes. Uh, I think Belgium are, Belgium are past it, even though they're they're doing very well in qualifying. I, I do think they're past it, um, and I think we would we would beat them in a head to head, probably six, seven, eight times out of ten now. And Italy, well, we don't need to say anything because the the score lines speak for themselves. So well, uh, we can get excited about that. Well, I mean, interestingly, there's all now. It's all down to sort of seedings for for next year and and how we finish the group and obviously how other teams finish their respective groups. But I was saying earlier that there is a possibility that Italy could be uh, in like pot four. I think it could be. Which I mean, that we're talking group of death then, aren't we? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you probably remember two years ago, Portugal, Germany, and um, France all in with Hungary. Yes. And, and it was only um, it was only Portugal who could beat Hungary, and that was only in the last ten minutes. So I think it finished five four four two in terms of points in that group. Everyone beating everyone, everyone drawing with everyone. So uh, yeah, a group of death would be lovely as long as we're not. In the group. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and as well, I mean, the chance of Scotland as well. They've they've um, qualified. So uh, yeah, well, congratulations to them. I don't say it too loud, but no, well done to them. <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, it's um, it, it's great to get there again. It's going to be interesting to see how it all pans out. But maybe just coming back a, a little bit to to next month, Malta and Macedonia. Do we, even though we we've just mentioned the seedings there, 
Are we we thinking that Gareth might tamper with the? Uh, or I think tinker is probably a better word with this with the starting lineup. So we're going to see maybe a more of an Australia lineup for Malta. Well, um, I think the important thing is the next two games, like you've just said, will have a bearing on seeding, and we need to be in the, in pot one. That's that's for sure. Um, so first objective is win the games. Second thing to consider, I would say, is the squad that he picks, regardless of the lineups on match day, the squad needs to be fairly similar. And then then you think about, okay, yeah, we can we 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 need to see a little bit more of the likes of Levi Colwell, Eze, Lewis Dunk. Um yeah, those those kinds of players. Trent Alexander Arnold, can we see him in midfield again? Is Jared Bone still going to be on form? You know, even if even if they're getting forty five minutes against Malta, um, it'd be good to see them. But I also think that it, it would be it would be important to see you know the mainstays, the sort of some of the first names on the team sheet. I think it would be important to see quite a bit of them because we're not going to see them until March. And even though we might not have an awful lot left to learn from from some of them, like Henderson or Kane or Stones, um, it's important that they get that sort of regular flow of football going on because it inevitably they're going to be the ones who barring injuries are going to be starting on that first match day at the Euros. And let's not forget Bakaya Saka. We'll, uh, we'll be back for that. Let's hope. Yeah. I mean, you're an Arsenal fan, are you not? Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah so singing his praises. I mean, Arsenal making it very hard for me to dislike them at the moment, particularly <laughs> Saka. <laughs> but yeah, no, Saka, un- unbelievable, especially in June when he when he got that hat-trick against Macedonia. Yeah. So um, yeah, food, food for thought. Yeah. The, re- the rest will do him good, hopefully. Aidan, thank you very much for for taking the time for for joining us. I know um, you're you're on Twitter, tactically speaking, aren't you? Is that still still going well? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, football tactics. I've got tacticallyspeaking.co.uk, and uh, the Twitter handle for that is at uh, Home of Tactics. Analyzing different tactics for for different games. Absolutely, and I will continue to do so. Lovely. Look forward to uh, to seeing more of that. Aidan, thank you very much for joining us. And yeah, let's speak again. Absolutely. Always a pleasure. Thanks to Aidan there. I have no doubt we will catch up again very soon. So as we mentioned, we have Malta home and North Macedonia away next month on the 17th and 20th of November, respectively. Both are now out of the running for a place in the Euros next year. Although Malta never really were in it, were they? Bless them. But just taking a look at next year, obviously, we're there. Uh, We also mentioned Scotland, but also qualified are Germany as hosts, Spain and Scotland from Group A, France from Group B, Turkey from D, Belgium and Austria from F, Portugal from Group J. So that's nine nations from the total of 24 required. 
Now, 20 spots will be decided from the groups. Then there'll be three from playoffs. Uh, and then the hosts, Germany, make the 24. Date for your diary is December the 2nd, 6 p.m. Central European time. Uh, so that's five o'clock English time. That will be the final tournament draw. Although the playoff winners, uh, they won't be known until March of next year. So there's plenty still to play for across Europe. Now, I don't like to get political here, uh, but we know that UEFA have banned Russia from taking part in UEFA competitions. Israel are currently third in Group I, with 11 points, having played six matches. They were supposed to have played Kosovo on the 15th of October. This was postponed because of the the escalated situation in that part of the world. Whilst they are four points behind Switzerland, with a game in hand, five points behind leaders Romania, with two games in hand, they are assured of at least a playoff place. I just wonder how UEFA will stand on this. Many will remember Yugoslavia being denied entry to Euro 92 and Denmark heading to Sweden that year instead. But football comes second, really, at a time like this. Um, yeah, it's it's not a nice situation at all. So thoughts with all the innocent people caught up over there. Right, that's all for this episode. Thank you very much for joining me. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, also, before I go, just wanted to say nice to meet uh, Matt and Ross, who I met at Wembley. Um, great to see a few new faces, put a uh, faces to names names to faces, meet in person, that sort of thing. Um, thanks for stopping by and saying hi. I'll be back with you very soon with those upcoming episodes that I mentioned at the top of the show. Uh, don't forget, in the meantime, you can follow it on social media. Just search Three Lions Podcasts in your search bar and click follow, subscribe or, or like, whatever takes your fancy. So until the next time, take care of yourselves. Cheers. Cheers.